Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you on this uh, beautiful spring day to Southwinds. It's so good to see you. Before we get into our message today, studying God's word together, I want to remind you of something very important. Easter is going to be here in just two weeks. Amen? And uh, this is going to be our first full Easter celebration uh, since we uh, opened this new auditorium almost three years ago. It's going to be the time, first time it's really wide open uh, for anyone to come, and we're really excited about that, and we're praying that there are going to be many new friends who are going to join us, and as part of helping you uh, to reach out, we've got a couple of things that are, are going to be available. I've got uh, one right here. This is an Easter invite card that we just want to provide for you so you can hand it to people, your family, your friends, neighbors, coworkers, anyone at all, just uh, as a way to invite them, let them know that we are going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. Those are, are going to be available for us out um, uh, on your way out and also in the lobby. And then next week, we are going to be having some uh, door hangers that are available for you to pick up bundles of and uh, just go around your neighborhood, get your kids to help you, get your life group to do it as a, a real fun project quickly, hang those in doors so people are just aware uh, that we are going to be gathering as a faith family uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And most of all, I want to encourage you to just pray these next couple of weeks for God's blessing and for God's power. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, you have uh, probably heard of Stephen King. Stephen King is the author of over 70 uh, suspense and horror novels that have sold um, over 350 million copies. You probably know that some of his novels have been made into blockbuster movies like The Shining and uh, Shawshank Redemption. Maybe you've heard that he is an avid, a lifelong, uh, huge Boston Red Sox fan. He always puts the Red Sox somewhere in his books. You also may know about him that he's a recovering alcoholic. But not as many people know that he almost lost his life while walking along a main country road. A van drove by, hit him, threw him into a ditch, crushed his legs so badly that doctors considered amputation. But I will bet that you also have never heard the most surprising thing about Stephen King and that he is an outspoken advocate of generosity. Not too long after his accident and recovery, he gave a commencement address at Vassar College, and this is some of what he said. He said, I, find, I found out uh, what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in the ditch on the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans, like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, but on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett is going to go out broke. Bill Gates is going out broke. Tom Hanks is going out broke. Steve King, broke, not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. 
So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help. We have the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us? Oh, please. Right now, we have the power to do great good for others. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you begin. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. Now, I don't know Stephen King's views on the Bible, but I do know that what he said in that speech aligns with what God's word teaches. It aligns with what our topic is today, uh, which is grateful generosity. And you know, generosity is, is one of those things that almost everyone admires and everyone applauds and even admits that God calls us to do. But at the same time, it's something that all too many of us just don't really practice. And we have all kinds of excuses and rationalizations and reasons why, reasons why what, what God's word clearly teaches doesn't really apply to me. Some of you are thinking right now, why did I come today? <laughs> Some of you are thinking right now, Mike, why are you mixing God and money? I mean, why do we have to talk about this at church? I, I, don't, I don't think we should mix money and God. They, those, they should stay separate. That only leads to trouble. Well, let me just say this. Chances are you have already mixed them. If you've ever prayed that God would help you sell a house, You've already crossed that line. God, God, I hope they like our house. Make them buy it, God, for $100,000 over asking price. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but I know some of you have prayed that prayer in the not too recent past. Maybe it was just a good luck prayer, kinda. Maybe you're not even sure you know, there's a God out there. You're here kind of checking things out. But, you know, if you have ever in your life whispered, hello out there, somebody, God, like the force, Morgan Freeman, um, whatever's out there, I, I, I just need your help for this deal to go through. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. If you've ever done anything remotely like that, you have already mixed God and money. And I want to tell you that's Okay. Because the Bible actually talks a lot about money. The Bible actually discusses what we do with what we have on so many different pages all through uh, the, the scriptures. The Bible is full of money talk. And you know, I know that um, generosity is a subject that makes pretty much everyone uncomfortable, even the pastor. And I, I love teaching God's word, but, but I know every time that I teach about generosity, someone is going to misunderstand. Someone is gonna say, I'm just after their money. Someone is going to get angry. Someone may leave and never come back. And, and actually, the truth is nothing could be further from the truth, the reality. You know, one of my biggest fears whenever I talk about generosity is that you're a guest at Southwinds. This is like your first time here. And, you know, the reality is that we only 
talk about money maybe once, maybe twice a year, and like you just happened to visit today. Well, just to let our guests know, the other 50 weeks a year at Southwinds, we talk about sex. So <laughs> you, you, you might want to come back next week. But honestly, honestly, if uh, you're a guest, you can relax and you can just calm down and re- chill out and, and just look around and watch everyone else squirm because, because really, we, we, we never ask our guests to give. This message is, is primarily specifically addressed to those who call themselves part of the Southwinds family, uh, those of us who are, who are part of this ministry here because we believe that God calls us, he calls us to support the work of growing his kingdom, the work that is being expressed through this church family. So if you're a guest, we're, we're, we're just not, we're not trying to get your money. And, and the reason The reason today that we're talking about giving is simply this. Generosity is truly an integral part of what it means to be the church. What it means to be God's people, God's family. What it means to be Jesus' body and and bride. See, to be God's people always requires that we be people who trust God. Would you agree with that? Say amen. That we trust God first to save us. That we trust God throughout our lives to be at work in our lives, right? That we trust God to provide for our needs. And here's what I want you to hear. It is only generous people who truly trust. Anyone can say they trust God. Lots of people do. But only generous people demonstrate trust with their actions. Now, there are are just uh, two key verses we're focusing on today. They're actually both very familiar. And the first one is this. It's Luke 6, 38. And this is Jesus speaking. And this is what he says. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. Second verse is Acts 20, verse 35, where the apostle Paul uh, reminds us of something Jesus said, and it goes like this. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, most of you have heard these verses many times, and so as we get into this, what I wanna do is ask you a very serious question, and it's this. Do you believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about? Do you believe that it is truly more blessed to give than to receive? Do you believe that when we are generous, we always get back more than we give from God? See, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the wisest man who ever lived, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus created everything that exists. That means Jesus set up reality, right? You get it? That means that Jesus knows how reality works. And Jesus is telling us that generosity is part of the very fabric of reality and generosity is, 
works in a particular way where as we give, we receive. It's how creation works. It's kind of an interesting thing. Even researchers are confirming this about generosity. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but the University of Notre Dame has actually set up an entire research department devoted to studying uh, academically the effects of generosity. And they, they analyze how does generosity impact people. And here's some of their conclusions. They say generous people are happier, right? More blessed. That, that shouldn't surprise us. It says they are healthier. It says they are less depressed, Not only that, generous people have lower blood pressure, reduced stress, longer lifespans. And not only that, generous people have better moods, better marriages. They have more friends. Just raise your hand right now if you could use a better mood sometime, right? I mean, you know, you might want to raise your hand if the person sitting next to you could use a better mood right now. Um, This is precisely... Do you see? It's precisely what the Bible teaches. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on Luke 6, 38, and we're also look at the verses around it, which actually make up one of the most important passages about a generous lifestyle. And here's why this is so important. You know, if you're a Christian today, you should be interested in this because it's describing how you, as a follower of Christ, should live. If you're not a believer yet today, you should also be listening, interested in this. You're maybe checking Christianity out because you will see in these verses that Jesus is saying, this is the way, this is how my followers are supposed to live. This is what Christians should look like. And generous living really matters. You see, if, if Christ's followers really live the way Jesus tells us, not only will we be more blessed, not only will we have more joy-filled lives, we will also see people drawn to Jesus through us. Many times, uh, they are gonna watch us and they're gonna wanna know more about the man who causes his followers to live so unselfishly and so generously. I wanna show you this morning three things. If you've got the app open, you're taking notes there, um, or if you're just writing some things down, three things that, that happen when God's people live generously. And the first one is this. Grateful generosity leads to the reward of God's blessing. So Jesus tells us, and this isn't the only place, that there's a reward when we live generously, and that reward is God's blessing. That reward is a life rich in joy. Listen again uh, to verse uh, 38, our key verse. It is the foundation from which we're gonna kind of move out into some other verses that are around it. And it, it's such a familiar verse, but it's also very often misapplied. And so as we do this a second time, I'd like you to read it out loud with me. Would you just join me as we read God's word? Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down Shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I'm sure most of us have heard this before, but what does it mean? Uh, One of the most common mistakes people make about this is they, they assume here that Jesus is only talking about money when what he's actually doing, listen, is he is revealing a principle that applies to every single area of your life, every area. 
And this really becomes clear if you just look at the larger context of this verse. Look at the verse right before. That's verse 37. Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And it's right after that that Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. So you can just see right here primarily in this context, verse 38 is it's not only about money, maybe not even primarily about money, it's about giving, period. Just giving. Giving people the gift of your time. Giving forgiveness instead of resentment. Giving patience and kindness instead of impatient anger, giving the benefit of the doubt. See, Jesus is saying, whatever you do is going to have a reciprocal reaction back to you. What you give out comes back in to you. And just to be clear, this is not the same as karma. Very, very different. It, it doesn't mean that whatever happens to you, you deserve it, especially the bad stuff because of what you did earlier in your life or maybe in a previous life. It's just referring to a principle that God has built into the very fabric of his creation. Sometimes it's said like this, you reap what you sow. And we know that, right? If you sow in your life anger and unforgiveness and judgment, then that's how other people treat you, right? If you're generous, on the other hand, and you're compassionate and forgiving, and you're, you're just giving to other people, then that is how others are going to treat you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. Have you ever wondered what that description is talking about? Well, Jesus is actually painting a picture that his original hearers would have immediately recognized. He's, he's talking about something we actually see several times in the Old Testament. You know, uh, God commanded this, that when farmers harvested their crops, uh, they were supposed to leave the edges of their fields unharvested so that poor people could come later on and they could gather the grain that was still there. That was called the practice of, of gleaning. You remember that? And the, the poor people who would harvest the edge, edges of fields would often you know, have to walk a long way, maybe miles and miles to get to these fields. And so whatever they harvested is gonna be their food that their families are going to eat. It's what they're gonna survive on. And that would mean, just think about it, that would mean they would be unbelievably motivated to get their baskets as full as humanly possible. And so they would fill their baskets a Good measure. The basket was full. And then they would press down the grain so that they could get more in the basket. Then they would shake it together to settle it even more. They would be putting in more grain and they would keep putting in more grain until that basket was running over the sides. It was overflowing. That's what they wanted to carry home to their families. And that's why Jesus painted this picture because he wanted his hearers to get it. His point was very clear. As a rule, you get back way more than you give. So don't forget, he's talking about our lives, everything. He, he's talking about every kind of generosity. If you get judgment, then judgment is what comes back to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. If you are harsh, and you are condemning, if you withhold approval uh, uh, and affection from others, and that's what you're gonna get, a good measure, pressed down, 
shaken together and running over. But again, don't forget, it works in the positive direction also. If you give love and if you give affirmation and if you give people the benefit of the doubt, Jesus is saying here that generally speaking, that's what will be returned to you, a good measure, a full measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. Isn't that good? Just think about that. Now, the unfortunate thing, and here's the reality, there are some pastors out there Uh, Unfortunately, they seem to be on television all the time. There are some televangelists out there who will like rip this verse out of context and they will say things like, you know, if you have a need, plant a seed, you know, give and it will be given to you. So write a check to my ministry and they'll apply it like that. But, But here's the problem and here's what you need to understand. Jesus was not trying to give us a vision for getting He was trying to get us to grasp a vision for giving. And and generosity is its own reward. Now, it's true that sometimes God gives reward that that involves things. But this is never to be the primary motive for our generosity. It's kind of like uh, sometimes this, you know, cool side effect that comes. But it isn't the reason why we're generous. So, You may be asking already, well, what is that reason why we're generous? What is our primary motivation for living a generous lifestyle? And that's the second truth. You can write this down. Grateful generosity makes us more like our Heavenly Father. More like our Heavenly Father. Now go back a couple verses, verses 32 to 34. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Now, when Jesus uses that word sinners, he's aware of his audience. And you you remember he's speaking in a Jewish context in this first century Roman world. And this is how the Jewish religious leaders would refer to Gentiles, to the Romans and and to the pagans. They they were the, the sinners. And Jesus is talking here primarily about what everyone would have recognized. It was the way that generosity was practiced in that Greco Roman world. They they had a concept of generosity then that's totally different from what Jesus uh, was saying, and even really, I think, from how we uh, would understand it. They, they had a term, the Romans did, it was liberalitas, and that was the word they used for charity. And what they meant by it was that you give to someone in hopes that they will give back to you. Right? We, we, we know that. You could probably think of plenty of examples, you know, that happen in our culture all the time. What just popped into my head is raffles, and I'm not saying that raffles are wrong. I'm just saying when you put your $50 in, or if it's a big thing, you know, you're gonna get your million-dollar house from the raffle, you give them $100 or something like that, why are you giving that money? You know, well, you're giving that money because you're hoping, maybe you're praying, mixing God and money up again, you know, you're praying that God's going to reward you for your generosity. That's kind of how, that's kind of how it was back then. Um, it, it was this idea that, you know, you scratch my back and, and I'll scratch yours. So, so they would give, they would be generous only to the people who could give back to them. 
The Roman emperors actually would print this word liberalitas on, on gold, silver, bronze coins. And, and then they would sometimes ride their chariots through the streets. They would just throw these coins out to the people that were there. And they would say, hey, I'm your emperor. I'm giving you money. Liberalitas. And now the idea was you owe me. And that's how they view generosity then. And so as a result of this, think about it. Who was the, the, the people that most often were the recipients of generosity? Was it poor people who had needs or rich people who already had a lot of stuff? Well, of course, it was the rich people because they could pay you back. And so the rich got richer. They got more and more money. They got more influence and power because, you know, if you gave to them, they could probably, like, do you a solid later on. So Jesus, he walks into this liberalitas Roman world and he says, my kingdom doesn't work that way. In my kingdom, you give knowing you may never give it back. You give not even thinking about whether or not someone deserves it. In my kingdom, you do for others no matter what they do for you. Look how far Jesus takes us. This is The next two verses, verses 35 and 36, and we're getting closer, remember, to verse 38. He he says this. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And there's, there's that reward again. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And right there, that last phrase is where I get this truth, this point that we're looking at. We do this because in doing it, we're more like our Father. That's what Jesus is saying. The reason for generosity ultimately is to be more like God, to be like our Heavenly Father. You give to those who don't deserve it. You you give to those who wrong you. Give that way. Why? Because God gives that way. Amen? In the Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And you know, when Jesus died on the cross, that's what we're going to be studying next week when we gather again the cross. He did not say, I'm giving my life for everyone who deserves it. And aren't you glad? Amen? I mean, if we could have ever deserved it, he wouldn't have had to die in the first place. Jesus... Here, do you see it, is, is changing the whole generosity paradigm. And, and the early Christians, they, they caught this vision. And they began to spread this, this totally new idea. Not liberalitas, uh, but the, the Latin word that expressed it was caritas. We get our English word charity from this. And this word caritas is about, about relieving, about giving to relieve physical or, or spiritual distress without expecting anything in return. And it was revolutionary. No one had ever done this before. The Roman world had never seen anything like it. And all across the Roman Empire as more and more people came to faith in Jesus the Christ. More and more Christ followers started giving and started taking care of people, even sometimes the Roman leaders who were persecuting them. And it was so fascinating when you look back, you see this historically, how that began to impact and influence people. I love this. There is actually an ancient letter that survives from the fourth century. The Roman emperor Julian, he's technically known 
in history as Julian the Apostate because he was a Christian and then he rejected Christianity. He was working as emperor to try to revive the pagan faiths. But he writes a letter. He writes a letter probably in like the 360s uh, to his pagan priests all over the empire. In that letter, he's griping and complaining. Here's what he's griping about. He's complaining about how generous the Christians are and how it's like messing everything up. This is what he says. He says, the kindness of Christians to strangers has done the most to advance their cause. The impious Galileans, that's what he calls them. Again, they didn't believe in his God, so they were, they were like irreligious. They were impious. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. I mean, this drove him crazy, and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Why? Well, here's what he was talking about. I think it's so interesting to consider this in 2022 here in America, in our world. You know, back then, plagues, or what we call a pandemic, would rip through Roman cities. And it happened pretty frequently. It wasn't like a once-in-a-lifetime event. It happened. They had these pandemics all the time. And when it happened, they had, you know, no medicines. They had no knowledge of how to do anything about it. And so those uh, people who were wealthy, the, the Roman elite, they would take off. They would leave the cities. They would go to their country estates. They would even leave behind family members who were sick and who were dying. They would just leave them there, abandon them, trying to escape death. And who stayed in the cities where the plague was ravaging? Well, it was the Christians. They were the ones who stayed. It was the Christians who risked getting infected by the plague themselves. It was the, the Christians who showed up and said, you know, we'll do whatever it takes because the Christians didn't fear death. And to celebrate Easter in two weeks, they really believed in Easter. They, they believed in the resurrection. They said, if we die, we'll still be alive because of the resurrection. And so they nursed the sick they comforted the dying. Historians say that when pagan Romans saw this, many of them wanted to know more about the Christian faith because of how the Christians were living. Generosity, a generous lifestyle. And the truth is, many of those pagans who watched them became Christians because of their generosity. And why were they generous? Well, it's because their God, their Father, had been so generous to them. They looked at their faith and they saw, first of all, that, that God gave, and he gave them life, and then despite their sin, God gave them the gift of his son Jesus on the cross, and they said, we want to be like God. We want to be like God, and so we will give out of gratitude for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, we will practice generosity. And there's not going to be any strings attached because that's how God gave to us. He did it out of his grace, not because of anything we had ever done. And it's so important. It's so important for us to realize that we, we don't give because it works. I mean, it does work. You will be rewarded you will experience God's blessings, but, but the real reason underlying it all is that we are generous people because we love our Father and we want to know the joy of his generosity. 
And so we live generous lives. Think about it. If it's more blessed to give than receive, who is the most blessed person in the universe? Just say it out. It's God, right? Because he's the greatest giver. Therefore, he's the happiest person. We want to be like him. Amen? Here's the third thing, the final thing I want you to see. Generosity, grateful generosity, draws people to God. Jesus says that generosity results in people being drawn uh, to God. A few verses later, same chapter, Luke 6, Jesus says something fascinating. This is verse 44. He says, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And what he's saying is that people around us are going to see us for who we truly are. Like, we can't fool them, ultimately. And they're, they're going to see us as Southwinds Church, as Christ followers in our neighborhood where we, where we work, um, you know, with our families. They're going to see us as either hypocrites or as true followers of Christ. How are they going to tell the difference? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see, someone who doesn't know Christ will look at us and they're going to think, well, if they are followers of Christ, shouldn't they look like Jesus? Now, that's a question, right? You hear how I said it? If they are followers of Christ, shouldn't they look like Jesus? I want you to answer that question. What is the answer to that question? Just say it out. Yes, we should look like Jesus, amen? We should look like Jesus. And it's kind of interesting how, how so many people who aren't even believers in Jesus, they don't even believe really, you know, um, in who his message is. But they love the historical figure of Jesus because they see Jesus helping the poor, healing the sick. They see in him this person of grace and forgiveness. And they intuitively and correctly assume that that's what Christians should look like. And it's a disconnect for them when Christians don't look like that. Now, here's the point. I think this is so, so very important where we live. Here in the Bay Area, where the truth is this, fewer and fewer and fewer people are seeing themselves as Christians. Fewer and fewer people are even seeing themselves as having any kind of faith. Our culture is growing increasingly secular, and our secular culture is increasingly saying not that we are wrong as Christians in, in what we believe. They're saying that we are dangerous. They're, they're saying that our beliefs are hateful and hurtful. Now, we know that's not true. But one of the best chances we have of causing them to pause and to reconsider false ideas like those is for us to live a lifestyle of generosity. I mean, truth is this. I hope you're, you, you figured this out. And if you haven't figured it out, you're figuring it out. We are unlikely to persuade them by debating or by protesting. But I'm telling you, no strings attached, generosity makes people stop and sometimes sit up and take notice. They can't help it. 
And we just live, we live in this world of so much noise with, with all kinds of people making claims and counterclaims. We live in this world because of exposure through, through so much media and internet and everything where, where, where cynicism is so strong because we see it all the time, how inauthentic people are, so many of them, how dishonest so many people are, many of our leaders. And you put all this together And the result is this. Most people are uninterested in what we say we believe, even though our beliefs, even though our doctrines are absolutely essential. And I believe that. People, though, are far more interested in what they do. And it's for this simple reason. You believe this, too. The truth is anybody can say they believe something, right? It's when we act in sync with what we say we believe that people sit up and pay attention. And it, it's interesting, Jesus essentially tells us that. Uh, go back again to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, verse 16. Again, very, very, very familiar verse. If you read the Bible, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine. What's the next two words? Before others. Let your light shine so that people can see it, that they may see your good deeds. And what's the result? Glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is telling us, do you see it, that we can live in a way that helps lead people to faith and lead them to the worship of the one true God, our Father in heaven. That's what glorifying God really means, giving him glory. But the first step for so many people in our world It's going to be generosity, seeing us live generous lives. I think this is what the Apostle Peter was talking about, 1 Peter 2.12, when he said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is also why we say these words around here at Southwinds quite often, good deeds leads to goodwill, which opens doors for the good news. It's why, for example, we started Southwind's Serves a a few years ago. It's why we we give people uh, food. That happened this week. Someone came in needing food. We shared with them. It's why we, we do things like pay utility bills when people are not able to help people out in a lot of different ways. It's, it's why we uh, have been painting benches for the last couple of years on and off with the pandemic. By the way, we talked to the city about this a while ago, asked them some questions, got some information, and we have calculated that we have saved Southwinds has by painting benches about the city about $25,000. So it's like a gift uh, to the city. Hopefully it'll be used for, you know, other things that are important. But it's a gift from our church. We give. We give generously. It's why some of you foster children. It's, it's why some of you have even adopted them. It's, it's why so much more we do. It, it's, it's why we have disaster relief. That beautiful picture that you saw a few moments ago of people standing here. It, it's why we, we serve. It's why we give as a church. Because we want people to be drawn to Jesus. Did you know that in the past 20 years, over $1.2 million has been given by Southwind's family, that's you 
to causes beyond this campus, locally, like in our area, out across our state, out across our state, our nation, even around the world, over $1.2 million has been given during that time to serve people and to share the good news about the most generous person in the universe, and that is our Heavenly Father. I, I um, received a very powerful example, I think, of this a couple of days ago. If you were here last week, you'll remember I shared with you that, that Pastor Chris, our, our children's pastor, received um, an opportunity just recently to go on a mission trip to India. That's where he is right now. And he sent the pastors um, some video clips. Some of them we, we can't show you because they're sensitive and could be damaging to people there. But we've got a couple that we want to show you. And this, this first one is taken by the River Ganges. I want you to see the clip and then I'll make a couple of observations about it. Hey, Southlands family. I'm on location. I'm on the Ganges River in a town called Varanasi, 2.5 million people. And behind me, you can see they're burning um, bodies. These are funeral pyres where they are burning the bodies 24-7. They bring people here uh, from all over India to burn, believing that if they will drink the water of the Ganges, uh, they will be purified. If they bathe in the Ganges River, they will be forgiven of all their sins. And if they are burned uh, on, and their ashes are spread on the Ganges, that they will go straight to heaven. So it's a place of real darkness. This, this city is the birthplace of Hinduism. And this whole town, this whole thing that we have been going by are just lined with Hindu temples where they're teaching people um, about Hinduism and uh, not about Christ. It's a very lost place. And so please be praying for the people of India. Now this is a picture. It's just one picture, but it's a picture of where our world is apart from Christ. And though it may not be this stark everywhere, it is always spiritual death. And what I want you to be thinking about is that it is through our generosity that we have the amazing opportunity to push back darkness, not only here, but around the world. Now, I'm gonna show you one more video because I want you to see what God is doing. And this is so very, very cool. You're gonna love this. And this Southwinds family is a contrast to that darkness. Here's the light. We've got over 300 believers. These are all the women over here. There's a line of all the men over there. They're getting baptized today, proclaiming their devotion to Christ in a very difficult place to live. And to do that, how exciting. I've continued to ask you to continue to pray for the country of India. And God is doing this amazing work, seeing uh, so many uh, thousands and millions come to him. God is doing some incredible things. And, you know, the truth is, I, we, we might not have ever heard about it, you know, what he's doing in India if, if Chris hadn't been able to go on this trip. But God is always at work. God is always saving lives. God is always pushing back the darkness with his light. And here's the thing I want you to see today, Southwinds. If you are a person who lives a generous lifestyle and you have given, you have given generously to Southwinds, you're, you're really part of this trip. And so you're getting the blessing of being able to see part of what God is doing. Amen? Well, here's where, here's where I want to land this message. I just want to say it again. And if you've never really accepted it and taken it into your heart, I hope you will today. Grateful generosity is an essential core at the heart part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, I would go so far as to say 
that if you want nothing to do with generosity, you may truly not be a Christ follower. Now, I know some of us may have never heard about the importance of generosity before, and some of us are, are like still growing in our lives. But if you want nothing to do with generosity, how, let me ask you, how can you say that you are a recipient of the Father's generosity in, in the life and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ? Now, I want you to know, I, I'm not preaching this message uh, because we are in dire financial straits, you know, we're gonna have an offering in a few minutes, but it's just like we do every Sunday. We're not gonna pass the basket two times. We're not gonna lock the doors, you know, or something like that until you, you know, cough it up or whatever. Um, that's not why I'm preaching this message. But I will be honest with you, the pandemic has been difficult for Southwinds in some ways, including finances, you know, um, as it has been for many of us personally, um, I don't know if you've thought about this, but uh, we opened this brand new auditorium just months before the pandemic hit. I jokingly told some of my pastor friends that may not have been the best plan as it turned out, but it was God's plan. And as we are in this, we, we face some challenges. And I'm confident that through God's word, because God's word is living and powerful I'm, call, I'm confident that God will call some of you to join us this week in a new way, in, a, in a, a deeper way maybe than you ever have before as we are seeking together to reach Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop. Lathrop, God, God has been so gracious to us as a church and we are emerging from the pandemic. I, I see a bright future and I think that future will grow brighter and I think that future will be filled with even more blessing as even more of us the members, the family, Southwinds, follow our Father in grateful generosity. And it's not just giving our money. It's about all of life. God calls us to a generous, generous lifestyle, to be generous in our time, in our talents, and yes, in our treasures. It's not just about money, but don't think you can pick all the other things and do that and then leave money out. If you do that, you will still be missing the point. And I just want to say to you, I hope you understand, I hope you see that generosity is so very powerful that it tears down walls, it repairs and rebuilds relationships. It's especially powerful when there are no strings attached. And the reason is simply this, because it is a reflection of who our God is. See, the most famous verse in all the Bible, have you ever thought about it? this verse in light of generosity. Think of the key word. It's John three sixteen. It says, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And what did God require us to do first before he gave? Well, it's nothing. He just gave his only son. And then he allows us to respond. And there is a word we have for that. It's called grace, undeserved mercy, and when we are generous like the Father, we find opportunities to introduce people to grace because that's what grace is. That's what God did for us. And that's what God wants to do even more. Maybe you've heard of Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas. He has a great quote. He says that generosity is grace made visible. And when we are generous, we give people a taste, a sensation, an introduction to the grace of God. And I want to say one more thing. If, um, if this kind of 
message is offensive to you, maybe because some of you have truly um, experienced some abuse and misuse of this in the church. If that has happened to you, maybe because of the church you were raised in or some other church you attended, you know, sometimes the grace message gets muddled. I am sorry that that's what you experienced. But don't let that misuse or even abuse keep you from the blessing that God wants for us when we practice generosity, when we give because he first gave to us. God gave us life, and because of that life, we're grateful. And because of that gratefulness, we're generous. It really is the heart of our faith. I, I want to I read to you our two key verses again. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then Acts 20, 35 Paul says that Jesus said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I want to leave you with that question I ask at the beginning of this message. It's a serious question. And how you answered, how you respond to it, um, how you act in response, it determines so many things in your life, your happiness, your blessing, your joy. And it also has a huge impact on our dark world which needs the light of Jesus. The question is this, do you believe that Jesus knows what he is talking about? And if you do, what are you going to do about it? Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, most of all, for how incredibly, unbelievably, even infinitely generous you have been to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your indescribable gift of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, uh, I just pray that you would open our hearts out of great gratitude, out of the joy that we have because of your generosity to us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts so that we would be truly generous people. Lord, whatever that means in each one of our lives, may the Holy Spirit even now speak. And Lord, may, may we listen. May we hear what you are saying to us. We thank you for your word. Most of all, Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen.